It's great. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Indeed, great is God's faithfulness on this Sunday as we look forward to the 4th of July, celebrate our country's independence. We can certainly praise the Lord for His faithfulness to our country. We can praise the Lord for His faithfulness to our church. We can praise the Lord for His faithfulness to never let us go. We can have a great confidence that though the thief does come to steal and to kill and destroy, as Buster read this morning, Christ has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And we need not fear that somehow, some way, our salvation would slip through His hands. We are safe and secure in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Great is His faithfulness. Thank you all so much. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to read the first 20 verses in just a minute. A couple of things, I want to make sure it was clear, um, as, as Adam is uh, getting used to his thing, he, uh, he, he, he did make one misspeak, he said that we were having Love Serve Give tonight and next Sunday, so uh, it is next Sunday, so that's okay, we love you anyway, we're glad, um, and uh, he's doing a great job. Uh, but it is next Sunday, so please make reference to that. We do have regular evening services tonight, so I would welcome you to be with us tonight as we gather to worship the Lord. This morning, we're going to be reading about, listening to, preaching from Mark's account of the Gadarene demoniac, the man among the tombs who had been tormented perhaps for years with demons, We're going to see that Jesus came to set him free. What do you need to be freed from today? Some of you need to be freed from your hate. Some from your addiction. Some from your shame. Some from your past. Some of you need to be freed from the chains that enslave you in the present. Some of you need to be set free from the burdens of sin committed against you. Some of you need to be freed from the burden of sin. And there is power in the blood of Jesus. President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on September the 22nd, 1862. That moment began the process. It went into effect on January the 1st, 1863, and every slave living in the Confederacy was legally free. But until they knew of their freedom, the legal fact had no impact on their lives. In fact, Union soldiers carried hundreds of thousands of copies of the proclamation and passed them out as they made their way through the South during the war. Christ has set us free from the power of sin. We must recognize the fact and live like it. Colossians 1.13 says He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And this morning, we're going to read about one who was delivered from the very powerful domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Oh, let's, let's go back to Mark 4.35 for a minute. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across the other side. Today we're going to learn why they needed to get there. Jesus always moves with a purpose. Don't miss that. Jesus didn't just accidentally end up in this place. Jesus set sail. He set course for one man to deliver him. You're not here by accident. Jesus has a purpose. They came to the other side. They were on the way, remember? 
They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met among him, or there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the pieces, or wrenched the chains apart, and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Well, there was one, as we're going to see in just a minute. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Time out. Let's not miss this. The demoniac looks at Jesus and says, Swear to God that you won't torment me. This is a man attacking Jesus right here. For he was saying, that is Jesus, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter then. So we gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbered about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might not be with him. And he did not, per, or excuse me, that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them. How much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Lord God, I pray that you would free us today from our self-imposed limitations. Free us from our sin. Free us, Lord God, from the temptation to look upon others as helpless and hopeless. Lord God, transfer not only our lives, but our conscious thought from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son who frees the captives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, this is an incredible story. This is an amazing story. It's the longest account of an exorcism in all of the Bible. It has a few issues. We're going to talk about those later in the sermon, but I want to acknowledge to you there's some textual issues here. The gospel writers can't seem to agree upon whether it happened in the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes or somewhere else. Mark and Luke list one demoniac. Matthew lists two. All of those things are reconcilable, but... Let me remind you, we begin with the Scripture with an understanding that it is authoritative and that we sit under it, not that we sit over it. 
If we start with a belief that we sit over and in judgment of the Scripture, we see these issues and go, Aha! I caught you! It's not true. But if we believe that it sits over us and we sit under it and it is our authority, then we approach this text of Scripture and we say, There are issues that we don't yet understand, but we are confident that in this life or the next that God will give us understanding. There's some good explanations. We'll come to that in just a few minutes. But what in the world do we do with this? What do you need to be freed from today? How should you approach this passage of Scripture? You know, we tend to view this passage of Scripture, or we tend to, to put ourselves into Scripture. Right? We tend to read the Scripture, and Craig Thompson is in the middle. Now, for some of you, you usually play the place of Jesus. You should repent of that. And I only mean that somewhat mocking. It can be real easy to see ourselves as Jesus. Most of us read this passage of Scripture and we put ourselves in the place of the Gadarene. We put ourselves in the place of the demoniac. And we see that Jesus has set us free. But can I say to you today that most of us are not the demoniac in this passage of Scripture. Most of us are the herdsmen. If we look at our contemporary culture today, most of us are not those who desperately need to be freed from the demons that have invaded us. Most of us are the herdsmen and the city folk who see the outcast and turn a blind eye and walk away. The church of Jesus Christ is filled with pig farmers who are more concerned with their swine than they are with the well-being of another human being. The United States of America today is often more concerned with how things affect my pocketbook than it is with how things affect the people around me. And as we gather to celebrate our independence, let us carefully consider whether or not I'm being the hands and the feet of Jesus among those who most desperately need the good news of Jesus Christ. First thing we need to recognize this morning, or first thing we need to do from this passage of Scripture is to acknowledge the presence of evil. Acknowledge the presence of evil. Listen, do we recognize that those who are far from Jesus are prisoners of the prince of this earth, the prince of this world? Do we know that? Do we see them? As Satan's captives, do we? Jesus acknowledged the very presence of very real evil in this world. As a matter of fact, when Jesus approaches this man, Jesus doesn't point a finger at the man and blame him for all of his problems. Jesus addresses the demon here. Jesus sees the man as a victim. Greg Boyd's a theologian that's been very bad for evangelicalism in many ways. But one of his greatest contributions to the contemporary church is his understanding of spiritual warfare as real warfare. His book on spiritual warfare is called God at War. And he sees that Jesus came to set the captives free. This is a real spiritual struggle that takes place in this passage of Scripture. I pointed out a few things as, as I was reading, but the Bible says that this man approached Jesus and said, you swear to God that you won't do anything. He's talking to Jesus here. Do you realize that? 
Do you realize that? This is a demon, a legion of demons, who is willing to go toe-to-toe with the king of the universe. Now, there's no real threat here. You understand that. We're going to see in a minute because there's power in the presence of Jesus. But there is nevertheless real warfare taking place right here. When Jesus encountered this man, it was not fun. It was not enjoyable. This is Jesus at his absolute baddest dealing with the worst that the world could throw at him. But realize Jesus didn't judge the man. He judged the demons. Jesus recognized that this man was under the command and the dominion of Satan. And Jesus sought to deliver him from the domain of darkness and to transfer him to the kingdom of Christ. Folks, are we willing to acknowledge the power and the presence of evil in our world and the reality of spiritual warfare? It can be really easy... For us to identify those who are different from us, those who struggle in different ways from us, those who hurt in different ways from us, that's what Alan Jacobs calls the repugnant cultural other. In other words, it's easier to demonize people with whom we disagree or who do things that we don't approve of than it is to see them as fellow image bearers of God. Jesus didn't demonize the demonized. Jesus saw in the midst of the demonized the presence of a demon, but the very real presence of the image of God present in a real human human being what does that look like john piper has done a very good job of taking this passage scripture he created a graphic novel along with the folks at desiring god i don't like graphic novels all that much as you might imagine they don't really appeal to me they do a really good job of taking and personalizing this man of painting a picture not just of a crazy man in the tombs, but of a man who lost his mind and ended up there. A man who lost his family and ended up there. Folks, as we consider something like the drug epidemic across our country, for instance, can, can we see that the drug addict is a prisoner of Satan? Can we see that? Can we see them that way? But, you will reply, they chose to do drugs. Yeah, they chose to do drugs, no doubt about it. But did they choose to fall under the control of those drugs? Do you really believe that there's any woman on the planet that ever sits down to smoke crack for the first time and says, I bet this is going to cost me my children. Let's just go ahead with it. No one does that. No one. No, but they get hooked. They get addicted, and the next thing you know, the drugs are in control, and it's cost them everything. No one enters into Satan's servitude freely, but listen to me. He is the father of lies. That means he's really, really good at it. And he's winning with two lies in our world today. The first lie is to convince people to follow after him the second lie is to convince God's people that he's not really in control of anything the first lie is to convince people to follow after him the second lie is to convince God's people that those people are without hope they're their own problem and we just need to get away from it folks do we see them as victims what about those who are haunted by mental illness? Do we who are healthy see them as victims of the sinful world in which they were born? Jesus has sympathy for those with mental illness. What about the demonic in our world? Do we believe in it? Do, do we really believe in it? 
Are we actually convinced that there are people in our world who are under the sway of Satan? Do we believe that? Folks, I'm not preaching some, as some of you will, no doubt, well, maybe not some of you, but maybe some of you will accuse me of preaching some kind of socialist gospel here. I'm not. I'm not somehow suggesting that people don't have any culpability in the decisions that they make. The Bible is very clear that even those who, do, who sin under the control of others are still culpable for that sin. But do we recognize that there are spiritual forces at play? There's a battle that rages. And it's not a battle with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual struggle. When's the last time you were willing to direct your anger at sin in the world? Not at those who committed the sin, but at the father of sin. When's the last time that you prayed for your enemies? We understand this in our house. To pray for the people who have abandoned our children? Do you know how hard that is? And yet God has called us to it. Jesus got into the boat with a purpose. Try to imagine the scene as they roll up in here. Shh, they're rowing, they're rowing. They're getting close. People see where the boat's landing and they see where they're going. There's herdsmen. They're doing one of two things. Either they're really evil people themselves and they're just punching one another going, watch this, this ought to be a good show. Or perhaps they're screaming from the hillsides, hey, danger! You see, the other gospel accounts too teach us that the way beside the tombs was no longer safe because the demon-possessed man was attacking people as they walked by. Do you see that? This demon-possessed man was no longer just hurting himself. He was hurting other people. Folks, we need to acknowledge the real, actual presence of evil in our world. There are things that are beyond our eyes' ability to see. Things that are just as real, however. Just because science cannot explain them doesn't mean they don't exist. Acknowledge the presence of evil. Second, this morning, as we consider what you can be freed from today, trust in the power of Jesus. Look at this text. The man's been living there for quite some time. We don't know his story, but listen to me. This was a man and not an animal. A man, a real man, a human being, an image bearer. We know a few things. We know he had a mom and a dad. He couldn't have been born without it. He could have had a family. Perhaps he had a wife and children. We don't know what led him to this place. Read a story of a woman who was married and had a good husband, children that they loved, and one day he just ran off the rails. He was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. Their picture book, Marriage, fell apart without any clear explanation as to why. We don't know what's going on with this man. Maybe things just fell apart. 
Maybe he lost his job. He didn't know how he was going to provide. Maybe he got depressed. Maybe it is some of his fault. Maybe he began to dabble in the occult or some sort of personal abuse. We have no idea. But we know he was a man, flesh and blood, with real feelings and real thoughts, real emotions. We know he was literally possessed by a whole legion of demons. We know that he hurt himself regularly. He cut himself and was dangerous to others. Again, we can read over this and we can just sort of soften it and make it into a G-rated Disney movie until you've seen the arms of those who repeatedly cut themselves and you've seen the scars and the scabs. Have you seen that? Have you got down and dirty with people who are hurting and struggling in the world? Have you been willing to be there? Have you? Have you? Have you been willing to stand with those who hurt themselves? Because it's the only kind of feeling they seem to be able to have. I sat with a young girl one day. I said, explain to me why in the world you do this. I'd read the stories. I'd read. People say, I cut myself so I can know that I'm alive. That doesn't make any sense to me. I sat with a teenage girl. I said, sweetheart, you've got to stop. You're hurting yourself. Why do you do this? She said, my life is terrible. Everything's bad. Everything's wrong. I don't feel anything. But when I cut myself, I know I'm alive because I feel the rush of adrenaline when it hits. And I see the blood. And I know that when I see the blood, there's still life in this body as dead as it may feel. He hurt himself. He cut himself. He was dangerous. He couldn't be bound by chains. And according to Matthew chapter 8, the way to where he was was dangerous. You see this? Rescuing people from their sin is rarely safe and easy. There is danger in the mission of Jesus Christ. I had a ranking police officer, no one affiliated with our church, that told me the greatest struggle with young police officers today is they've never been hit in the mouth. He said, you see, the problem is that for guys who've never been in a fist fight, never been in these kind of intense situations before, when their adrenaline starts flowing, when things get bad, the first thing they do is reach for a gun. Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Some of you are terrified to walk into hard places for Jesus because you've never been in a spiritual fist fight. Imagine if the disciples, if this was their first experience with Jesus. Let's just imagine. They're rowing, they're rowing, they get there. Everything's great. Hanging out with Jesus has been good. He's been feeding them all the time. They get everything they want. People love them. There are throngs of people everywhere they go. Jesus heals the sick. Things are good, man. They pull up there. People from up in the hills start shouting, Hey, be careful down there! The disciples are no big deal. We got Jesus. We're good. Don't you understand? Jesus will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. This is where it's at. And this dude shows up. Knife in a hand, frothing at the mouth. He's disgusting. He's naked. And he is wild. And he confronts Jesus with a growl. 
Who do you think you are? Imagine the disciples at this point. We know a little bit about Peter, right? He, he carries everywhere he goes. Just to be safe. Peter pulls his sword. Peter engages. Who knows? Maybe before it's all over with, the demoniac's dead. Maybe Peter's dead. We don't know. This wasn't their first rodeo with Jesus, was it? We remember all the way back into Mark chapter 1 when we get the first account of a demon confronting Jesus and Jesus says, you hush! And you get out of here! And the man is immediately healed. We continue to read the accounts even though we don't have specific accounts of other exorcisms. We know that throughout this time Jesus is healing and he's casting out demons. And then he finishes this long series of preaching. He says, we need to get in that boat. And we got somewhere to go. And the disciples are like, whatever. I mean, this is what we, we just do whatever he says anyway. They throw him in the boat. Next thing you know, things are getting real south real quick. Jesus is asleep. The storm is raging. The boat is rocking. Jesus, don't you care if we die? Jesus wakes up. And we saw it last week. And he doesn't confront the disciples first. He confronts the winds and the waves. He says, you hush! You be still! In light of what we talked about last week and in light of this passage today, it does seem like perhaps this was a demonic storm in nature, doesn't it? We mentioned that last Sunday. The disciples are terrified in the boat. What kind of man is this? What in the world do we have in the boat? You ever been in the boat with something more powerful than you? Have you? I had an alligator in the boat with me one time. Like a real alligator. About six foot long. Bad, bad idea. They're in the boat with Jesus. He just told the wind and the waves to hush. And they go, what do we have in this boat with us? A few hours later, they confront this demoniac and Jesus steps out to the front. The disciples are going, oh, don't worry guys, he's got this. See, a lot of times we're terrified to do big things for Jesus because we hadn't done small things for Jesus. We're afraid to go to hard places for Jesus because we haven't gone to our neighbor for Jesus. We're afraid of the demons because we haven't even been willing to confront the demons in our own heart. Let me tell you something. That woman on her way to the abortion clinic is not your enemy. She's a captive and she needs to be set free. And you don't have to be afraid of her. That drug addict is not your enemy. He's a captive. And he needs to be set free. And you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is powerful. When Jesus arrived on the scene, this madman prostrated himself before Jesus. That's a big word that means he threw himself down on the ground. Now, the Greek word for prostrated is proskuneo. It's usually translated worship. In fact, in the King James, if you're reading in the King James today, it says that the man ran to Jesus and worshiped, or ran and worshiped Jesus. Now, modern English versions don't render it this way because we tend to see worship as a voluntary and enjoyable act. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, one of the perversions of worship that we have in our world today is that worship is primarily a one-way experience where I, as we talked about in our staff meeting this week, we, 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 we worship as though I'm trying to please an audience of one. We had a good laugh about that. It's one of my pet peeves. They make fun of me. But watch this. When this man worships, 
This is not a one-way act. As a matter of fact, there is nothing that we, in contemporary American culture, would usually define as worship being offered by this man at all. The King James says he ran and worshipped Jesus and then made it and asked him to swear to God. Folks, does that look like worship at all? If somebody comes in here to worship and they begin to curse me from the, from the pew, does anybody go, that guy showed up to worship today? What do we do if that guy shows up in our worship service? Are we willing to wrestle with the difficult reality that he stands under the domain of Satan? Or do we just need to get him out of here because he's dangerous? Folks, you don't understand danger until you've understood Jesus. I've always thought it was a strange, strange term that people want to intimidate others by saying they're going to bring hell with them. I read the book of Revelation. Hell loses. This man worships uttering blasphemies and making demands of Jesus. And yet, Jesus saved him. You see that? Jesus rescued him. Listen to me. Worship is not just about what you have to offer to Jesus. Worship changes you. When you find yourself in the presence of the Lord, it'll change you. This isn't just a Craig Thompson understanding. Historically, this has been a belief and an understanding from the Christian church. That I don't just show up to the church to offer something to Jesus. I show up because I desperately need it. I need the word. I need the worship. I need the communion of the saints. I need it. This man needed it and he didn't even know how. Side note, parents. This is why you should bring your children to worship whether they want to be here or not. I'm going to step up. Can I stand on these? No. No, I'm good. That's a lot of judgment. I won't stand on anything, but just take me my word for it. Pretend like I'm on a platform. Parents, listen to me. One of my greatest pet peeves in the world is, well, he didn't want to come, so we just left him at home. We didn't want to fight that fight. I love this. We don't want him to learn to hate the church. Give me a break. You're the parent. Bring your child to worship. And pray that when they get here, that whether they like it or not, God will break through. I hope that you don't pray that way for your wayward children. Well, God, we don't want to impose upon them, but maybe if you could think about doing something sweet, we'd appreciate it, Lord. Thank you. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. You better start praying for them harder than that when they're 12, when they're 10, when they're 6. Because when they're 28, when they're 28 and they are under the sway of Satan's control, you'll not be praying, oh Lord, if you don't mind, if you could just do something sweet for them, thank you, amen. You'll be praying, dear Lord, I don't care what you have to do. Break them in half. Give them boils. Pull out their hair. But Lord God, save them. Don't wait. Drag them here kicking and screaming. It's okay. Well, they're teenagers. They'll make a scene. Give them to Adam and go to your own life group. It's fine. <laughs> and listen, if they're under the age of 15, 
And you're giving me some kind of mess about they didn't want to be here? Really? Really? You can't control a six-year-old? It's not the child's problem. Now, let's back up. Somebody's going to get angry. You don't know. My, look, I know that there are special situations with children who have disabilities. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 95% of our children who need more than anything for parents who are willing to be authority figures in their life leading them to Jesus. Worship can change you. It's not much about your children though either, is it? I didn't feel like going to worship today. So I was having a bad day. I'm pretty sure this demoniac was having a pretty bad day when he met Jesus. You know what Jesus did with his bad day? He turned it around in a minute. You need to be here. You need the people of God. You need the Word of God. You need the worship of God. You need it. You know when you need it most of all? When you want it least of all. Listen to me. When should you be here? When you just, oh, we just had such a long week and we're just so tired. Really? You know what you need? The Sabbath is for man and not man for the Sabbath. But Sabbath is for worship and for rest because we believe based on the Word of God that through the power of His Word, He is recreating us into His image. That's where we get the word recreation from. We've so perverted it that we've replaced it with baseball and soccer and football on Sunday afternoons and we call it recreation when it began as an intentional effort from God to recreate His people into His image. You're making me feel bad. I'm sorry. But not really. Because nothing matters more than Jesus. And nothing is going to shape you more than worshiping with the people of God. Trust in the power of Jesus. He is strong. Trust in the power of Jesus for your own life. But also trust in the power of Jesus to change the world. Do you know there is nobody that is beyond the reach of Jesus? One of my brothers told me this morning I was 72 before I gave up, but he still saved me. Amen. What about that? So go, share the gospel in hard and dangerous places. And do it. Not because you believe that you need to notch your belt, but do it because you actually believe that God is powerful enough to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to make the lame walk, and to give the mute tongues to speak. Go into hard places and share the gospel because the same Jesus who can restore a demoniac from hiding among the dead to preaching among the living is alive and active in the world through His Word today. Trust in the power of Jesus. Y'all, I have to work hard to preach good July 4th sermons and put a lot into it because there was this one year on the July the 4th that all y'all slept through my sermon. It wasn't all of you, but there was one lady in particular that fell asleep about four rows back right here and snored out loud like this. Number three this morning, marvel at the work of Jesus. Y'all, take notice of what he does. Everyone realizes it when Jesus comes to town. Everyone. Now, Brace yourself. 
If nobody has noticed the change that Jesus has made in your life, perhaps Jesus hasn't made enough of a change in your life. If nobody notices the change that Jesus made in your life, perhaps Jesus hasn't made a change in your life. If nobody notices the change that Jesus made in your life, do you understand where I'm getting with this? Maybe Jesus isn't actually in your life. Everyone knows it when Jesus comes to town. Now, the herdsmen wanted him to go home. Right? <laughs> Read. The herdsmen fled. They told him the country. They came back. They said, whoa, look at this dude sitting here. When they saw it all, they begged Jesus, go, go away. Depart from our region. Which is a biblical way of saying, go. Back, go, go. I, I don't, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. We don't want you. You're not welcome. There's no food for you here. There's no place for you to stay. You got to go. Now let's speculate a little bit about why it was that the herdsmen wanted Jesus gone. Maybe it's just because he cost them a ton of money. I don't, I don't know how much 2,000 pigs are worth back in the day. I'm sure 2,000 anything is worth a good bit of something. 2,000 pigs, and they're just dead. Maybe they were just afraid. The disciples said, what kind of man is this? But they already knew Jesus. You understand? There was already experience there. They had seen him save them. All of a sudden, all these people see is a man that shows up and can seemingly take control over the most dangerous among them. What might he do if he comes to deal with us? What might he want to change about me? Watch this. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, this passage has a few textual struggles to overcome. First, Mark and Luke mention one demoniac, but Matthew lists two. We don't really know why that is. Some suggest that perhaps there were two. One was the most vocal. Some suggest that there were two, but perhaps only one of them chose to follow Jesus and the other one walked away. We don't, we don't know why, but it does. Second, the names used for the location vary, and none of them seem to be a perfect fit for the geography that's mentioned. Now, that, that's in spite of what, where scholars want to go. For me, that's really relatively easily overcome. Because the idea that something could be known as something different, you know, years after the fact is not that difficult. The idea that two places could be known as nearly the same thing makes perfect sense for me because I live here right in between the two Elgins, which confused me for like five years. I didn't know there were two. There's not three, is there? I know there's two, right? And, and, and I couldn't, like people say they went to Elgin and they told me they were up toward Kershaw. I was like, well, no, Elgin's out that way. But I didn't say anything because I thought maybe I was just dumb. And then one day somebody explained it to me. So th those things don't bother me quite as much. But it seems that the location on, on the seaside that best fits the dis this, this description is a place called Kersey. That, that, that actually, believe it or not, when you take, go from Greek to English and all those other things, that, that some of the textual descriptions or variances could be described with that. Now... Further evidence suggests that Kersey is the place where there was a large Christian church in this Gentile area that dates back to at least the 400s, probably before. So how about this for a theory? This man is saved by Jesus. Everyone notices what has happened. The demons leave him and rush into the pigs grazing nearby. Cost the herdsmen a huge profit. But in the midst of their loss, they interrogate this demoniac and discover the full truth of who Jesus is. 
And the demoniacs, and perhaps the herdsmen become convicted because they recognized that they had watched this man in the tombs for all of these years. But they left him alone because they were more concerned with turning a prophet than they were with saving a man. And perhaps this man told him about Jesus who had completely turned his life around. And these herdsmen who had lost everything suddenly find themselves in a place to be open to the grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the truth? Isn't it at the bottom that we often find ourselves finally ready to hear what God has to say to us? And this demoniac and these herdsmen become the core of an early Gentile church. Now, I don't know for sure if my story's right, but what I know is that Jesus' work is a sight to behold. Maybe you've never seen a demon exercise, but surely you know something of a life changed by Christ. A life transformed. Look at it and marvel. Marvel. Whose life do you know that has been completely changed by the gospel? Marvel at it. Celebrate God's goodness there. Perhaps you're the kind of person that needs to get up every morning and look in the mirror and go, Lord God, I can't believe what you did with this. God, I know where I was headed and I know where I am. And God, I cannot believe it. Well, what's it look like to wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning? Or not bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Just to be amazed. This morning, I got a perfect example of what bright-eyed and bushy-tailed is. Before I left home, so I was late getting here this morning, because before I left home, I looked out the window, and we had four foxes playing in our backyard. A couple of what appeared to be mature and two little kits. They were running around, and they were the epitome of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I don't look like that in the morning. But it was funny because you could figure out which ones were the young ones and which ones were the old ones. I don't know if they were parents or if they were just old. I don't know. But the little ones, man, they were crazy. They looked like Sloan. They were boom, 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 boom. The other ones looked like me before I've had all of my coffee. They just sat there and watched. I don't care how you get up in the morning. But when you look in the mirror, you ought to look in that mirror and say, Lord God, I can't believe what you've done. You gave me another day. Some of you can look in that mirror and go, Lord God, I wasn't promised another day 30 years ago. I know where I'd be, and yet here I am. Marvel at it. And then finally this morning, testify to the freedom found in Christ. Sunday, we're, or Sunday today's Sunday. Wednesday, we're going to shoot fireworks and eat hot dogs and ice cream. I've got my July 4th shirt ready to go. Like, I'm not exaggerating. My kids have already laid out their July the 4th outfits. That's right, there are outfits. Angel's ordered her new 4th of July shirt. We, are, we love America. We're a divided country right now. Maybe I, we might even get to hear Lee Greenwood sing. I mean, that really, that makes the 4th of July, doesn't it? We're a divided country, but most of us are still going to celebrate on Wednesday. Now, if our country is something to celebrate and sing about, how much more, Jesus? Testify, testify to the freedom in Christ. This man wanted to go with Jesus. Haven't we all been there? Like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, we want to stay on the mountain. You've been there, right? God, it's good up here. Let's build a tent. Let's just hang out. We'll have a barbecue. We'll put some beds. Lord, we got no, I got nowhere to be. Just call and cancel all my appointments. I'm going to hang out right here. Jesus looks at him and says, go home. 
Whoa, 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 no, Jesus, these people don't like me. Listen, they, they've been chaining me up for years. Jesus, don't you understand? They treated me like an animal. And, and beyond that, they're terrified of me. When I walk into the city, the kids scream and hide. My parents disowned me years ago. My home is among the tombs. And Jesus says, go to your home. Folks, Jesus changes your address. He changes your past and He gives you a present and a future. He says, go to your home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy. What's it look like this morning to be set free? What's it look like? It means we've not just been set free to enjoy Jesus, we've been set free to testify about Jesus. How crazy would it be if I said, thank you, Lord, you saved me. I'm just going to sit and enjoy the labors. I'm going to build bigger barns. Jesus says, go home. Tell your friends. You've been set free. to Go tell the good news. Bring liberty to the captives. Testify to your own salvation. The prince of this world has held sway for far too long. We have the word of life. And if you're here today and you don't yet know the freedom found in Christ, don't despair. He is there for you too. He wants to set you free. Charles Spurgeon used this parable to illustrate the bondage of sin, and I think it's just perfect for us today. There was once a tyrant who summoned one of his subjects into his presence and ordered him to make a chain. The poor blacksmith had to go to work and forge the chain. When it was done, he brought it into the presence of the tyrant and was ordered to take it away and make it twice the length. He brought it again to the tyrant and again was ordered to double it. Back he came when he had obeyed the order, and the tyrant looked at it then commanded the servants to bind the man hand and foot with the chain he had made and cast him into prison. Folks, this is what the devil does with men. He makes them forge their own chain and binds them hand and foot with it and casts them into the outer darkness. But we have the light of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. There may be some of you here today who should relate better with the demoniac. And today you need to be set free from the chains that bind you. There are many of you today who need to recognize that for far too long you've been a herdsman looking at those held captive in their sin and turning a blind eye because you had other things that you needed to tend to. What do you need to be freed from today? In what has Satan bound you? He will set you free from your hate. He can set you free from your addictions. He can free you from your shame. He can free you from your past. He can free you from your present. He can free you from the burden of sin. There is power in the blood of Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. It is the emancipation proclamation for all of God's people. You've been set free. You have died with Jesus Christ. Would you come today and accept all that He has to offer? Would you come today and be set free? 
Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would work through this word to free the captives, Lord God. I pray that you would burden us to go and set the captives free, to carry the gospel with us. Lord God, perhaps there are those here today who have longed to be on the mountain for far too long and you say, go down into the valley. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Lord, some need to go home and to proclaim liberty to the captives there. Some today need to come to this altar and pray, Lord God, set me free. Lord, I know Jesus died for me, but Lord God, right now I am in chains. Set me free. Some need to come and pray, Lord God, the sins of my past have weighed me down for too long. You died to forgive me of them. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am free. Lord God, would you work and draw us unto yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning and as we sing about the